The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Right now and fast, a winning streak with tech leading the charge. The Nasdaq posting four straight days of gains, the first time that's happened since September. Is this the market's way of saying it thinks we are in for a tame CPI report tomorrow? Plus, China to the rescue as a reopening from Beijing and beyond picks up steam. Could the millions upon millions of pent-up Chinese consumers keep Europe and the U.S. from falling into a recession? And later, day three of our big 2023 acronym reveal, All Carter right. and Courtney yes. waiting in the wings. The chart master set to reveal his bright and shiny plays while Courtney is trying to create the right mood with her names on her list. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Steve Grasso, and Carter Braxton Worth. We start off with a risk-on rally. The Nasdaq now surging for the fourth straight day. It is up almost 6% since Friday, the big winner so far this year. Big growth. Amazon up nearly 6% today. Its best day since November, up 13% already this year. It is close to re-entering the trillion-dollar club. Meantime, Intel, it's up 13% in 2023. Netflix, nearly 11%. Transport's coming along for the ride, too. They're up almost 7% since the year's first day of trading. The moves come as we are on the clock for tomorrow's CPI report. The market expecting prices overall fell by a tenth of a percent from November to December, but excluding food and energy, CPI is expected to rise three-tenths of a percent. So our investors positioning for a weaker read are inflation. Are they right or are they wrong? It does seem like the market is taking a stand here, Tim. I think they're positioned for it. I think it's disproportionately positioned for a weaker CPI. And it makes me feel like the reaction on the December CPI when we had the same positioning, which basically was a, a top to the market. Now, remember, the markets had rallied pretty aggressively from the October CPI to that December CPI. But uh, tomorrow, if we get a weak CPI and, and the four and a half percent rally we've had going into this, you know, the trader in me says you're going to fade that because, you know, the other side of this is on the other side of the CPI are earnings. You know, fourth quarter earnings for the first time in a year are expected to be down. I don't think these numbers are going to be great. There's arguably, you know, a market that's priced some of that in. But I, I do think you have a case here where uh, obviously an Amazon, which has been a, a significant underperformer, as have the triple Qs to the S&P, with a lower rate environment, less inflation. That, that's what big tech needs. But I, I think this is a trade, not, not necessarily. I want, to, I want to walk through, though, that trade, though, because when you say you'd fade it, you'd fade the pop that the markets would have tomorrow on the back of the weaker CPI. Again, to me, the October 13th CPI and the December 12th or 13th CPI were really big intraday moments and where, yes, you were actually fading it, that buying the bottom on that October 13th CPI was great and fading that December 13th CPI, I think also a very important moment. Yes. Wrap the trader fade right into the A block. First question out of the the gate. gate. Out of the gate. It's in the blood. Yeah. What would you do? What so, do you think? So I, I agree with him. I, I think you have the ability to fade the CPI pop that we're seeing today, although I do think it could be a little longer lasting. The bigger question for the market is earnings, as Tim said. So if we fade CPI, what does that mean for the earnings recession? Is there an re- earnings recession? Because you could get a double rally here, and, and that's actually what I think you're going to get. So you think we're going to get a weaker CPI and better than expected earnings? 
Yes. And, and the better than expected earnings only has to be better than the earnings reset. Exactly. Right. A very low bar that's set. So you could get a real rally if we start to see the banks. First of all, the banks are right out of the chute. So the banks could surprise us to the upside, even though uh, they have outperformed recently. Mm-hmm. I think you can get better than feared earnings on the back of a better CPI. What do you think, Carter? So it's a lot of mind games going on here. Sounds like wrap it, then scrap it. I think that says it all. I mean, it is mind games. I don't think anyone knows, right? And I know that we're making the best. No, no, no. All right, cancel the show. Cancel the show. We're making best efforts to try to figure it out. But at the end of the day, does it move a lot or not? Is it a news-related pop or drop? Is the market really in a position to move meaningfully higher here. Equities as an asset class in a good position. And really, Tim brings up the main thing. It's going to be all about earnings, and the presumption is they're not going to be great. So even though CPI is important, but it's still all about earnings. Earnings are definitely going to be a big driver, but the big thing that's been driving the markets the entire last year has been inflation and where interest rates are going, which is why I don't think the CPI report tomorrow in and of itself is important, but what is is where interest rates are going later this year. What's happening is the Fed keeps saying, we're going to keep interest rates higher. We don't care that the data is showing it's lower. We're going to keep going forward. But the markets are saying, well, the data is not telling us that, and they're trading on that. And so I think we eventually need the data to be strong enough to overpower the Fed. And that's where I think some of that, that data becomes important. I don't think it's tomorrow itself, but what we see over the next couple of months. We here. did get a hawkish Powell this week. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we didn't had a lot we of hawkish, hawkish everybody hawkish else, everybody. Yeah, but we had everybody else. But all, all, all the market really cares about is Powell. And Powell has been the wet blanket for the market. Mm-hmm. Powell, every time the market gets sort of ahead of itself or starts Nobody to be constructive. Powell. Nobody really believed him. I mean, that's why, why we're, we're here today. Yeah, but this week, and this I week, rally. we have we have to believe Powell with an eye shot of the CPI. Uh-huh. We have to believe if he's not throwing sand on a potential you know, a little bit of a bull market. So, yes, no one knows exactly what's going to happen. But if earnings come in slightly better, I think this market could overtake that 4000 level in the S&P and uh, take out the 200, which has been it's been rejected multiple times in the S&P. And then everyone has to scramble to chase a market that they don't want to chase. I mean, here's the thing. I, I think one way to approach the market, right, is is this that you, you would all agree, right, it can only do one of three things up down or sideways. So happily, this is a wow. lot easier than medical school. Close the show again. Okay. Again, that's so, it. So <laughs> if we know that we've got that set, what we are supposed to do is eliminate the scenario that we think is the most unlikely and then work backwards. I think big up is unlikely. So that sideways or down captures 85% of the odds looking out over three to six months. I, I just think I'm you hoping. have a case here where let's talk about bank earnings, which, which are coming in here and I think are actually going to be decent. I think you're going to look at net interest income, which is going to continue to be strong. You're going to look at certain parts even of, of their, their services businesses that are going to be fine. They, they don't have the credit issue yet. So this is this is the real conundrum with this market, because I don't I don't think banks fall off a cliff, but I don't think uh, by the middle of next year, you're going to want to be owning these same money center banks who are not going to fall under a credit avalanche. And I think that's great. But I I don't think that banks have been a bellwether in the sense of them setting the tone for how the rest of the markets trade for quite some time, probably since before well, the financial crisis. I think you're largely right, but banks have outperformed the S&P since August, and, and they've outperformed the minute that rates peaked. And, and that's also kind of bizarre because we used to rally banks on higher rates, da-da-da. I think people understand that the short end of the curve, where they're, where they're able to lend, and until uh, they have to compete aggressively for deposits and pay a lot more for those deposits, I think the banks are actually in, in a case where they're still a pretty interesting place. And that's why they've outperformed. I'm with you. I mean, for, for so long, and if, and if Dan was here, he'd be, he'd be 
be pushing back aggressively because I think he's got a personal vendetta against banks. But I get it. I, I get the fact that at times banks have seen to be high quality. Uh, they, you know, balance sheets are fine, but they've really, really lagged the market. Yeah. I mean, we get Netflix. We, I mean, the floodgates open next week, Courtney. So which which sector would you look at the most? Well, it's interesting because when we, we open up this segment, we talk about how it's all of your tech, that that's really what's outperforming. Mm-hmm. And this has happened really every time we've gotten a rally over the last year is the things that have been down the most, which is your tech, is what's outperforming. What hasn't gone away is even if rates come down, they're still going to be higher and those things are likely going to still continue to be under pressure. I would not fall into that trap of going into tech right now just because it's so down. I would still stick with things like your value companies. Um, I still think actually international is a really interesting play right now. It's already starting to outperform. And I think a lot of that might continue. I mean, rates have really been a key part or a part of this rally that we've seen for technology. Yeah, the, the, the rule on trading is if rates go higher, you don't buy growth stocks. So we've seen that actually ripple through the entire market. But is that a little bit long in the tooth? We watch, you brought up Netflix. Netflix has gone from $280 to $330 in a handful of, 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 of weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. So that is sort of long in the tooth. I think people are getting back into technology, willing to take the risk in those groups that have been, you know, a heavy headwind. Yep. Well, we mentioned yields. They actually edged lower in today's session as well. The chart master sees an opportunity for a pairs trade in two of the most rate-sensitive areas of the market, REITs and utilities. Carter's over at the, uh, the plasma. Carter, what do you see? Yeah, you bet. So two-year yields lower, of course, 10-year. And these are, of course, the two most uh, rate-sensitive areas of the market. And you're looking at a comparative chart over five years. And to my eye, we're going to get some convergence. You've got utilities in blue. You've got uh, iShares uh, ETF, which measures REITs in orange. Let's look at this not as a comparative chart, but as a relative line, one line. And so what you're going to see here is this is simply one divided by the other. That's how you depict relative strength. IOIR's relative performance to XLU, which is to say, REITs underperforming, 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 and then now starting to put in a double bottom, which warrants a green arrow. Another way to look look at it would be as follows. Put in a trend line. It's the same thing, right? So not only do we have the double bottom, just today we flirted with a breach of the downtrend line. I like this a lot, and I think it's a a very safe way to play. Remember, pair trades uh, in, in many ways, if you get them right, are it's nirvana. Right. It's it's as least risk you can embrace by taking still a bet. Or you could be wrong on both sides. Well, that's yeah, which, yeah, of course, is not Nirvana. Is the opposite is, of Nirvana. Is absolutely devastating. <laughs> no, what do you think? I, I, like, I like where Carter's going here. And, and I think if you look at both REITs and utilities, the most extreme part of those down moves and, and this underperformance when rates were moving higher was, was really uh, late summer. Uh, so it was, it was kind of July into the bottom that I think we hit somewhere in October. And from that point, they both behaved pretty well. And I think we're in an environment where utilities are going to be actually quite defensive next year or this year, I should say. So I think. Um, I, I like the trade, though, when you consider that, um, you know, there's there's still going to be some outperformance and that we've had an extreme move in interest rates. And I don't think we're going to see that kind of a move over the next two to three months. In fact, Carter who's now back at the desk. Didn't you, when he ran off, I thought he was getting sick. TV. People don't get a chance to see that. But when he when, yeah. when he ran, so I didn't know what was going on. He's got his uh, trainers on. Um, you think rates overall going lower, actually? Oh, yeah. For sure. You say, oh, yeah. I mean, I do. That's <laughs> what I think. Like does that have to be right? What does that do for your trade? What does that do for this yeah. trade? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. The, the bet, of course, is streetwide is that the lower rates mean higher stocks. I just 
Why is that? That doesn't have to, it's like the lower dollar was supposed to be good for stocks. The dollar's collapsed and the stocks haven't done anything. These, these relationships are spurious. They're made up, sometimes they're true, and sometimes they're not true at all. Yeah. Courtney, do you like REITs or utilities? I do. And actually, I, I do agree. I think probably rates are likely going to come down at some point this year, which should benefit REITs, because really that's been one of the things that's been offsetting it the most is with rates higher, especially with like re- your residentials. That's really what's been keeping it down. But I think a lot of that is, is going to come off the table here. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And especially th- that it's broken that downward trend line. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important. And, and it's pretty convincing when you actually take a look at it. So I would go REITs over utilities. All right. Meantime, let's take a look at shares of Disney. They are higher by a little bit more than a percent off the after hour session highs. This on news that there is a shakeup at the board. David Faber broke this news in just the last hour. He joins us now with the very latest. Hi, David. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this, probably uh, focusing a little bit too much attention on a high profile proxy fight that's going to break out. Uh, Nelson Peltz is going to try to get on the board of directors at Disney because they said we're not interested in you joining the board of directors of Disney, Mr. Peltz. He's a significant shareholder. Last count, maybe $800 million worth of stock. Uh, They've known he's been there for some time. In fact, Bob Chapek, the former CEO, was aware of Peltz's presence, as was the board. And then the board did get rid of Mr. Chapek, but that apparently wasn't enough to satisfy Mr. Peltz. We're going to learn more from him, uh, I would assume, in the not-too-distant future in terms of what it is that he really is after here. But the main thing he's after right now is getting himself on that board. That board's currently 12 people. It's going to go down to 11 because Susan Arnold is going to be stepping down at the next annual meeting. She will be replaced by Mark Parker uh, as the company's chairman. Of course, the man in the middle there is Bob Iger, longtime CEO who stepped back into that role after roughly a three-year absence from that role. Not quite. Um, uh, and um, is tasked with, you know, fighting off or helping to fight off Mr. Uh, Mr. Peltz, although much of the board, the lead director, the new chairman or the existing chairman will be part of that effort. And leading this company, of course, that he's only been back at for what has it been? Uh, two, we- two months, not even uh, that long. And again, Melissa, you know, trying to understand exactly what it is that Peltz is after is going to be a key <laughs> thing here. Um, you know, he, uh, I believe, is fairly close to Ike Perlmutter. He used to run Marvell, sold it to Disney, and then has been a thorn in Iger's side for some time, it would appear. Um, costs certainly going to be important here. He's going to be focused, one would expect, as well, on the lack of shareholder return over the last number of years. Now, that includes COVID. He is also going to be focused on the fact that he believes they overpaid for the Fox assets. That was a deal that Mr. Iger did. That said, much of the debt at the company is also a result of debt taken on in the spring of 2020, when the company, of course, faced the, its parks not open, its movie making not open, uh, and needed to take on debt to just simply make it through to a certain extent that period and continue to fund, of course, uh, its streaming business. So any number of questions here that we have that I expect over time we'll get. But one important uh, uh, thing to mention here, universal proxy access. This may help uh, Mr. Peltz. You know, essentially, Disney's going to have to include him on their proxy that gets sent to shareholders. And they were 12. They're going to be 11. He'll be the 12th name. It may be quite helpful to him um, in that way because he doesn't have to go through so many of the, the different difficulties that faced uh, activists in the past when they were pursuing proxy fights. Universal proxy access certainly making it easier. This will be one of the first tests. Melissa, as you know, uh, Peltz, I mean, you know, the last proxy fight was P&G. He's on the board of Unilever right now. You can go way back, of course, to the fights at Heinz and DuPont. There have been so many through the years. This one could be an interesting one.
I mean, you mentioned P&G, and that cost Procter & Gamble how much money in terms of fending it off? I mean, that was probably the biggest, I don't want to say waste of money, but they, they spent dearly to fend off that proxy battle. They did. I mean, I think they're still counting votes. Remember how close that was? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he did get on the board. It went fairly well. The stock price actually responded quite positively. I think um, Disney certainly will point out at some point that he has no experience in the media business. Uh, unlike, you know, any number of their other directors, including, by the way, the recently added Carolyn Everson, a longtime Facebook executive who's now on the Disney board. Remember, Dan Loeb was there in mid-August. He had a number of proposals. He was supportive of Mr. Chapik, at least at that time, but certainly also had some focus on cost and cost discipline that he felt was lacking at Disney. Uh, again, remains somewhat unclear exactly what we'll hear from Peltz. Yeah. I don't think he has some great ideas, Melissa, in terms of how to completely change the business. But ESPN could come into focus again. And certainly cost and simply the lack of shareholder return over a long period of time now is going to be part of his campaign. All right. David, thank you for bringing us the latest. David Faber on the story for us. Um, the lack of media experience seems like, uh, I don't know, not a very good argument. There are plenty of people on that board who you would point to and say, do they? Does Mary Barra have media experience? But Nelson Peltz has great consumer product experience. Consumer product experience. And, and boy, last time I checked, you know, activism uh, is, should be agitating for things that shareholders should like. Forget what, what the board likes. And I, I get that. And I would get back to this as a shareholder in Disney. These are important headlines, uh, but they're not the headlines for the stock that, that move it. The most important headlines are that the streaming losses uh, are cut substantially in 2023. Uh, Bob Iger is focused on profitability. I think that's very important. Uh, the question of are they going to spin off ABC, ESPN, these dynamics, I don't think they're going to in the short to medium term. But it gets back to also Disney's valuation relative both to Netflix, which it's now trading at about four times uh, streaming revs and Netflix is a little bit more. And I think the street at one point was giving Disney a lot more credit. It was giving it was getting, a, you know, seven or eight times uh, revs multiple on their streaming business, whereas Netflix was getting five or six um, Disney's getting less. And again, we talked about this yesterday with Netflix. Netflix is more profitable. I own them both. I want to see profitability. You were just talking about uh, Disney earlier in the day. Yep. I own, them, I own them both as well. Go ahead. Right, right. Does this make you more bullish? It does make me more bullish. And, and you know, I'm not, I, I think Bob Iger, every, everyone, both investors and everyone in the business community trust Bob Iger. And that's the big thing is you want to trust who's ever as steering the ship. And you know my thesis here. Disney should never be trading at the pandemic low. This is not a pandemic low environment for Disney. But remember what Loeb said. They should be getting a, a, a hybrid valuation. And they were not getting that hybrid valuation based on their streaming business. So that's where the stock really took off when Dan Loeb started to make those comments. I'm long. I think this thing should be up 10, 15 percent at least. All right. Disney shares are up 1.4 percent after hours coming up. We're all over the after hours action. KB Home shares on the move after reporting results and numbers in the trade next. Plus an FAA fiasco. More on the travel chaos across the country and any cyber risks to our nation's systems. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. KB Home shares down in the after hours, but well off their lows. The home builder saying housing market conditions remain challenging. The company missing on both the top and the bottom lines. The call kicked off top of the hour. CNBC's Frank Holland is listening in. Frank, what's the latest? Hey there, Melissa. Uh, absolutely listening in right now. Kind of a mixed report. The company just talking about the changes in the housing market, uh, including this quarter. We're seeing an average selling price rising 13 percent year over year, beating estimates but other key numbers like delivery throwing a big miss and also margin a miss there. CEO Jeff Mesker on the call citing supply chain issues and inflation and also acknowledging that dramatic downturn in the U.S. housing market. The homes we delivered this year were sold under different market conditions than we are navigating today. We also recognize these remarkable results were accomplished despite numerous obstacles, including supply chain issues and municipal delays that significantly extended our construction times, as well as persistent inflation and rising interest rates. All right, laundry list there. Uh, guidance also soft. KB Homes forecasting their average selling price for the next quarter would fall to a range of 490000 to 500000 That's as much as a 4% sequential decline, but it would still be a more than 8% increase on the bottom end of that range year over year. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, you would think that there would be some respite in terms of um, easing of, of prices, inflation, that is, prices on lumber, et cetera, on labor, maybe just a touch in terms of shortages. Courtney, and to come down a little bit in mortgage rates, at least. The problem is the supply and demand issue, right? I mean, this has been a really structural problem with your housing in general. And just to think about this, over the last decade, there's been about 5 million more households created than homes built. Basically, they stopped building homes in 08, but now you have millennials who are, are all having families and looking for houses. They're not enough to go around. And I can tell you this, I, I look at homes all the time. I'm like that perfect person who has a young family and looking for a house. They aren't out there right now, which is the problem. That's why home prices aren't coming down, even those rates going up. And I don't think that's going to go away. And I do think longer term, it is going to benefit your home builders. Yeah, I do that, too, just for fun. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm nosy. Uh, Carter, what do you think of the charts? Well, first of all, there's been such a good group, right, outperforming the market to such an extent that at this point, a lot was priced in, obviously. And what we do know is, of course, the fundamentals are getting worse. Starts are deteriorating. Existing sales are deteriorating. Permits are deteriorating. It's probably an overdone move in a very strong group. Yeah. It feels like all of those data points that, that Carter just said have been factored in, but all the whole group has bounced together. And that, that seemed like that, that move should not have happened. So I thought things were getting better. 
for the home builders, but this actually puts that into question. So you want to actually look at the home builders that are damaged off of this print that haven't reported yet. Those are the ones you want to buy, because if you can get a discount on a Toll Brothers that's actually sold off with this, then you actually get a better setup going into earnings instead of this. I think it takes us back to a Home Depot and a Lowe's, because it, and they, they've had the biggest move of them all as interest rates have kind of at least peaked and, and, and moderated, and, and things like lumber prices have come in, a lot of materials prices have come in. So, um, I, again, I love Home Depot as a company. I don't want to chase it at these levels. It's how I feel about the entire housing sector. I, I think Home Depot lows sit differently, uh, but housing velocity needs to get a lot higher. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Trouble on the tarmac. The latest issues for the FAA raising questions over the vulnerability of our nation's infrastructure, the biggest risks, and who's best positioned to tackle them. Plus, China to the rescue? What the country's reopening could mean for the global economy. We're laying out the details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Air travel coming to a standstill again today after a system outage at the FAA led to over 10,000 flights being canceled across the country. And while there was no indication of cyber attack in today's incident, it does raise the question of just how vulnerable the nation's infrastructure is. The answer is very. Eamon Chavers has been following the space and has the very latest. Eamon. Yeah, you summed it up exactly right, Melissa. You know, the answer is very. And when you talk to people about this in the cybersecurity community, as I did this morning within you know a few minutes of this uh, news crossing the wire uh, in the 6 a.m. hour, uh, you know, cybersecurity experts are saying, like, this particular system inside the FAA is not the one that they would have assumed would go down. They would have assumed that the air traffic control system itself would have been hit uh, because that might be more vulnerable and more crucial to the links here in air traffic uh, in the United States and affecting the economy more broadly in the United States if it was a cyber attack. So a couple of reasons why folks don't think this is a cyber attack. Uh, one is we've been looking at the dark web all day. We don't see any evidence of anybody taking credit or talking about this in hacker forums. That's something you typically see, particularly if it would be a ransomware attack. Uh, also, we don't see uh, who out there would have the motive to do this uh, to just sort of cause this kind of chaos for a few hours in the U.S. air transportation system. And then, of course, you see the the major figures involved here. Uh, a senior law enforcement official told NBC News earlier today that uh, there's no indication that this was a cyber attack. And we saw Pete Buttigieg, uh, the transportation secretary, out today with a statement saying there's no evidence necessarily that this was caused by anything malicious. So I'll take all of that together and uh, there you see the Buttigieg statement, no direct indication of any kind of external or nefarious activity, not yet prepared to rule it out though. So everybody that you talk to uh, in this area today says, you know, it's a possibility, but we don't see it. And, and that's sort of where things stand as we wind down the business day. Uh, Eamon, if it were a nation state, though, testing vulnerabilities, do you think that mm. there would be talk of that on the dark yeah. web? 
oh, hey, mm. we, we tested the vulnerability of the FAA networks and we were successful. I mean, I, I just can't see a nation state right. doing that if, if, it, if it were. A really good point. If it's a nation state, probably not. If it's some kind of hacker organization that's doing ransomware, sometimes uh, you know you will see bragging on on the dark web, and you will see what they call shame blogs uh, on the or shame sites on the dark web where they're posting embarrassing information about the people that they've targeted. But it, yeah, if it's the Russians, if it's the Chinese, um, you know, definitely you're not going to see them bragging in public about it. The question is, you know, do they benefit from this? Uh, it, could this be a test? Uh, or, you know, is this something where you don't really see a nation state having an incentive to do this, at least right not, not right now, where we are geopolitically? Right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers. And I don't want to stoke any conspiracy theories. No, Everybody no one, says there's nothing, nothing. But it, no cynics here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, right. right. Um, airline stocks, you were pointing this out earlier today on the back of this. Yeah, I mean, I do still like airlines here. Um, this is coming right after all the Southwest news, right? And I think what this is really bringing up is how important technology is going to be and how these um, airlines and FA, I mean, they need to get up to speed with this stuff so that they aren't going to have outages. I mean, we already had issues with getting Boeing planes and now um, people not traveling with COVID. And now this is just something that they can very much control that I think if they can get on top of this, it's really going to help. But the travel demand is not going away. The leisure travel has been there. Business travel and international travel is really starting to come back. You're already starting to see that get benefited in your airlines. They're doing well today despite this news, which I think is very important. You know I love acronyms. We did acronyms last night. Airlines were in my acronym. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about RASM uh, or revenue per available seat miles. If you look at the airlines and if you look at Delta in particular, which is the number one pick, I think, in the space, you have revenues that are 10 to 15 percent above their 2019 peak. And, and you have capacity down 9%. That spells profitability that's a lot better. If pricing, if demand holds up at these prices, airlines are way cheap here. And, and I, you know, demand won't be as buoyant as it was into the fourth quarter, but uh, I don't think that's fallen off a cliff. Corporate's back to 80% of where it was. It was the A in your lags. Trade, yes, it was. Right? And you it has lags. lags. It has lags. Grasso had just. Yes. Well, we have got coming up even more New Year's acronyms from our traders. Uh, the <laughs> trades, one of our members um, of our desk hopes will be giving us good vibes in 2023. We'll lay them out ahead, plus a check on China. Will the country's reopening give a bright green light to the global economy? We'll dig into what it could mean when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on markets today. Stocks closing near their highs of the day ahead of tomorrow's CPI report. The Dow adding more than 260 points. The S&P jumping more than a percent. And the Nasdaq leading the charge up more than one and a half percent, notching its fourth straight day of gains. Some of the names leading the rally, Lucid, Airbnb, Etsy, all up more than six percent today. Turn now to China. After three years, the country is reopening its borders and saying goodbye to its zero COVID policy. So will this easing and the unleashing of the Chinese consumer help bolster the economy around the world? Let's bring in Leland Miller, CEO of China Beige Book International. Leland, great to have you with us. Um, this is this is a consumer that has effectively been locked in for a few years now. I mean, we were locked in for a year plus and, and got unleashed and spent all sorts of money. So um, how do you how do you think about what this will do to not only Chinese GDP, but also to other countries that rely on China, you know, as trade partners? Well, there are two potentially very different stories. Uh, you know, you've had terrible 
data, growth data, every other kind of data for 2022. So as COVID zero has ended and the economy reactivates over the coming months, you're going to see a bounce in everything China. It's a cyclical bounce back. So you're going to see people traveling again, spending again. You'll see investment spending again. You're temporarily, but you'll you'll see consumers jump back at it again. So you're going to see a jump in China. Uh, the question is, is, is will that have the same effect for the world? And, you know, the, the caution here is that most of the most of China growth has traditionally been output, production, building out of property. These things will not help global, you know, global uh, growth. It will not help global, uh, you know, uh, GDP. So I think the question here is, you know, will the China story be a world story? Traditionally, it has not been. Leland, hey, it's Tim. I, I agree with that um, in terms of the impact on resources and commodities, because I think China will spend uh, on infrastructure and investment. And we've already seen a move higher in iron ore prices and even copper prices. Can you talk about that impact? Sure. Uh, look, you're, you're going to see the cyclical bounce back. You're going to see the investment spending. You're probably going to see the consumer spending. And you do have the first attractive window in three years to to, st- to stimulate the economy further, build out infrastructure, you know, help, help the property sector heal, although not rebound to what it once was. But, but the, there's a real question. You know, if you have a bounce back in the economy without the stimulus, you know, we have to be very cautious about assuming that Beijing is just going to dump a bunch of stimulus on top of it. They're not going to need it in, you know, the early parts of the year, the middle parts of the year. So, you know, we have to be very cautious. We see these big numbers in terms of, you know, what they're stimulating, going to stimulate the property sector. They're going to issue all these bonds. They're going to build out infrastructure. But if they don't need it, then we have to be very careful about assuming they're going to do it, particularly earlier in the year. You know, Leland, we, we've seen a big bounce in, in consumer-related stocks like luxury goods, LVMH, et cetera, um, on the notion that the Chinese consumer will just all of a sudden, you know, go out there and spend all sorts of money. But I'm wondering if you could talk to us about the state of the Chinese consumer, because while we think here about getting lots of stimulus checks, it was different in China. And, and the fact of the matter is, is when there were many lockdowns more recently, a lot of Chinese consumers were faced with mortgages that they couldn't pay, properties that they couldn't pay for anymore because they couldn't make their living. They weren't getting any help from the government. So what is the state of that consumer and their actual ability to spend? Well, the state of the consumer in China is very poor. Uh, you know, you had a different type of stimulus in the West. You had, you know, consumers were, were stimulated, households were stimulated. You didn't have that in China. It was all going to the supply side. So, you know, you've had a problem with consumption falling for several years. And, and you know, the government's promised that there's going to be this shift from investment to consumption. It's never happened. It doesn't look like it's happening. Now, you will have this cyclical bounce back. So there is the potential that you can have what we probably call a head fake in 2023, where consumers get back into it for two, three, maybe even four quarters and start spending. They're certainly going to be traveling. Uh, and so the question is, you know, as the consumption numbers go up, it, does this reflect anything more than, you know, a, a three, four quarter at most bounce? The answer is probably not. You still have the cyclical bounce back framed in the context of a long-term structural slowdown. So you have to be very careful about that head fake in, in 2023. All right. Leland, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, Carter, how do you think we should think about a head fake if it is? I mean, especially if we've seen the stocks jump in advance at this point. I mean, that's the thing. The stock market in principle, as we all know, it's a cliche, is ahead of the facts. So um, I, I just fall back on this. 
everything I see, and this is just spending hours looking at charts, but the chart ultimately is a weighing mechanism, right? It reflects all the fundamentals, and it's where the money's changing hands. There's nothing that I see. For instance, like we were talking about banks. Banks are up more in the market, but Citi isn't. It's because JP Morgan is dominating mm -hmm. the index. There's so many ways to slice the data, make it look better or worse. I just don't see the like, thesis for being really bullish. But, can I, it, but yeah. it, a chart in the short term and in the medium term even, I think, can be a voting machine as much as you think sure. it's a weighing machine. Yeah. Sure. And, and I look at China and I look at the K-Web and that looks like a V-shaped bottom to me. It is. And, and, and I think it's something that actually can go higher. And, and I'm not sure it, it really is people weighing all the fundamentals right now. I just think it was thrown out the window for a lot of different other reasons. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, just, it's steep now, right? It's all about your time frames, right? You're talking about the K-Web being up 100%. Uh, at this point, I think you fade it. Yeah, I, I mentioned Capri. You have to go high end in, in, in the retail space, or you have to go with who benefits the most, the TG Maxx or Raw Stores, well, all but that extra inventory. As it relates to China. But, but I, I would go Capri, I would go Ralph Lauren, go high end retail because all of that money is getting back into the market and it needs to be spent. But I, I, I agree with Tim. I think everything China related can bounce further because it's been stifled. It's like a balloon underwater. Coming up, we're getting, to, uh, getting ready to reveal more acronyms. Courtney and Carter on deck to spell out their 2023 strategies. One of them is a real gas. You won't want to miss it. Plus, Vince McMahon is back at the WWE, and one options trader thinks that's money in the bank. The raw options trade on that after this quick break. Tim looked great in that, right? Welcome back to Fast Money. Time now for more acronym reveals. Tonight, Car Courtney and Carter will lay out uh, their trades. Ladies first. Courtney, what is yours? Yes. Uh, my acronym this year is VIBES. We want a good vibe in your portfolio in 2023. And what yeah. that stands for is uh, V is for value, I is for international, B is for bonds, and E is for energy. So if you're looking for funds to play this, when you're looking at value, Vanguard Value Fund is a great way of playing that. It's going to get a lot of your large cap values in there. For your international, you had two funds in here. Both are iShares funds. You can look at the iShares International ETF or the iShares Emerging Markets. Actually, I think both of those are good plays. So I cheated here. I have two funds for my one uh, for my one letter, but I'm going to go with it. Um, B is for bonds. Um, I don't have a specific fund here. I actually do not like bond funds. We like to own individual bonds. All of our clients, we use an institutional manager. If you don't have access to that, you can look at like laddering treasury bonds can be a good way of doing that. And E is for energy. Um, I didn't have a fund with an E, but we use MLP. Um, these are your pipelines, and it's, it pays a really good dividend. It's almost at 6% right now. And I really like the way that these are going to work is it's not going to follow your oil prices as much as the demand is going forward. Right. So international versus emerging markets, is there a difference in terms of the kinds of countries in the international versus the emerging? I would imagine international has more developed countries. Yeah. So think of like Europe for yep. your developed international and emerging markets like China, Brazil, Russia, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Would you rather, Tim? Yes. Hmm the international or the emerging market, since you are our emerging market specialist on the desk. I think coming off this China segment, I, yeah. I just think China is, and as, as Leland pointed out, China's more important to that part of the world. It's more important to Asia. Uh, Euro's at nine-month highs against the dollar, though, and I think we've seen a really big rally in some of those European stocks. I think they're going to do well. I think EMF performs. Yeah. What do you think of pipelines as the energy portion? 
Uh, you know, it's, it's weird because you, you had this year, you have to look at the dynamic with the commodity versus the equities, and they, they're not always in, they don't always move in tandem. I do like the pipelines as an angle on it, but she was very shrewd because I have no clue on a lot of those names. Like, she could win no matter what in this. I don't know if it's a game. But, I, you know, I, there was the, the beef was for bonds, but I'm not sure I like the bonds, but the V. And so I, I, I like the pipeline aspect of uh-huh. it, and I like the way she played the game. Okay. <laughs> Compliment, I think. This is not a game. Oh, it's not a game. Not All everything right. on this show is about a game or about winning. Oh, it has to be. Like oh, winning. Tim and I are not coming back. Mel, if you ain't first, you're last, right? Something like that. Yeah. I think that's what we saw. Not everybody on the and nights. Um, yeah. Carter, let's get to your acronym. What is it? It's gas, like cooking with gas. If you want something that's going to serve you well uh, in the year ahead, uh, gas is G for gold. It's a lot of double dipping or triple dipping here. A is for Alcoa, and S is for silver. And so basically, I think Alcoa covers you in the event that we do get a sort of uh, cyclical rally, emerging markets or China, uh, but that you get the defensive characteristics of precious metals. Yes. I feel like you're very uh, levered in one direction. Uh, Always. (laughs) I I, I like leverage. (laughs) But for the full year, this is what you would stick by. Yeah. And you, you could have made this SAG, but you, you chose gas. And you, uh, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> SAG's kind of the wrong, kind of the wrong direction, you know. But you actually had uh, the ARG, like, yeah, as so, in pirate so, ARG. Yeah, and like, then, yeah, and all of a sudden was, you changed it. Yeah, well, that, I, I guess I... I was not reading the rules of the game right. I thought how best acronym See? to describe the, the past year. And ARG was Apple, Amazon, R for Rivian... Right, G for Google, and uh, what am I missing? H. Uh, H, O, for a Hang Seng, meaning the things that were the worst possible performance. Oh, so you thought like, you were characterizing And ARG is like, ugh, horrible. Right, right, okay, all right. But you think those are all going up. I think you've just no, actually, no, no. talk about yeah. being very like crafty here. You've chosen, you've actually you just presented now. two actors. I don't like those. Good for you. I like your, I like, you like, I like ARG over. No one likes gas. I mean, I, I prefer ARG over gas. I like ARG. Um, Coming up, let's get ready to rumble. Some big changes at the WWE helping the stock to rally this year. But do options traders think there's more room to run? we got the cage match on that trade next. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of medical device maker Massimo. Catch the full exclusive interview top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, shares of Bed Bath & Beyond surging for a third straight day. Yes, three days in a row we're talking about this one. The one-time Reddit darling rocketing nearly 70% today and up more than 160% this week. It is still a fraction of what it was at the height of the meme craze, but it is bringing other retail trader favorites along for the recent ride. Carvana and AMC both up more than 20%. Even GameStop is rising today. And of course, the backdrop is a rising market overall. What does this tell us about where we are in this rally, Tim? Well, the, the Fed isn't paying attention to Bed Bath and & Beyond and, and AMC and, and 
Carvana. But but I will say that one of the ingredients you need to get a market bottom is to get all speculation out. And we haven't done that yet. And if you look at the, the fundamental stories here, there, nothing has changed. Uh, these are these are first of all, there are there are traders who have shorts on that are squaring shorts that have done phenomenally well on some of these. The, the fundamental story around Bed Bath and Beyond is is where uh, you're talking about cost savings and preserving cash is is basically a slow burn and it's not going to change. And, and these are not moves to chase. And, and I would go all the way back to me mania um, when these were not moves to chase. And here we are. The, again, you talk about fundamentals versus voting machine versus weighing machine. These are absolutely voting machines. They are not weighing machines. Um, by the way, in the after hour session, Bed Bath is up 20 percent, 20 percent on the back of today's gains. Can we maybe, though, posit that the bottom was already seen, that these names have been so bombed out that that is when we can say that the speculation was stamped out of the market, Carter? I, mean, I know you're going to say no. But anyway, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm going to ask you the question I mean, anyway. I, I think the funny thing, it's always how you word things since we were doing a lot of words tonight. Smith, I mean, thank you. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> is it really Bed Bath & Beyond surges? Because that's the headline. Or is it Bed Bath & Beyond down 97% mm -hmm. from its peak, mean peak a day ago is now down only 93? <laughs> I mean, what? It, it, who cares? I mean, it's it just, it, I think it will go out of business. Yes, it will go out of business. Well, shares of WWE giving back um, early gains after David Faber shot down a report that the company could sell itself to the Saudi Public Investment Fund. The stock has been on a tear since Vince McMahon reinstated himself to the company's board last Friday. And despite today's pullback, option traders are betting the name is ready to rumble higher. Equity Armor Investment CIO Brian nice. Sutland joins us with the action. Brian, what are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I spend most of my day trading volatility, but I couldn't help to notice when you see option trading volume tick up like it did calls, trading six times average daily volume as seen before over the last month. And then I see 3,000 July 120 calls trade for $1.25. That's a call that's almost 40% out of the money, 34% out of the money here to the upside. Traders typically don't buy that. My experience has been with takeover kind of rumors and stuff like that. Traders won't buy that unless they really believe it's going there. So I know some of these things were dispelled today, but there are still option traders putting real bets out there. I know it's only like, you know, a little less than 400 grand of premium, but that's something that's so far out of the money. That's a real shot. That's a heavyweight trying to take a shot to the upside. Break even is 121 and a quarter. That's all the way out to July. So there might be some fuel to the fire and some of the rumors that are going on out there. Wow, that's a huge bet. Um, Brian, thank you. Brian Stutland. Um, for more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got your final trades. Get another check on shares of Disney up by 1.4% in the after-hour session. This on news that Nelson Peltz is mounting a proxy fight for a seat on the board of Disney. The stock had traded as high as up 2% after hours. This is a story we will continue to monitor. No word specifically on what Peltz is seeking other than that board seat. Um, but Disney acknowledged this in a statement made this afternoon. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. I know we don't like to call these games, but in another game we played or earlier in the week, we did good, bad, and the ugly. This was my bad trade of 2020, uranium. And I think CCJ, Kamiko is a company that is doing a much better job of running this business. Uranium's going higher. Carter Braxtonworth. You want to be long bonds here, rates going lower. TLT on the long side. iShares, Treasury Bond, ETF. Courtney. Uh, you were asking me earlier, do I look at international versus emerging markets? I do like them both, but because EM has already had such a pop here, I'd actually look at your um, developed markets here, and iShares is a great way of playing that. 
She pulled a grasso. I yeah. asked her, would you rather? And she said both. So that's like, I like I'll that. let that one go, though. Learn I like from the master. I will allow that. I guess, yeah, too I long. Like from, from the, the master. Start. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the reason. Grasso. I, I would say if you did a Twitter poll right now, they like the games we play on the show. Intel with a break above 30. Bye. All right. Um, that does for us here on Fast Money. What a fun show tonight. Fun. A lot Carter, of games. Games. Big keyboard. Yeah. We got all sorts of stuff in this hour. Um, thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. For more, meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com.